Hello and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. Uh, it's Aurelia. I'm here with uh, Glenn and Darcy. And today we're going to discuss how we extract uh, money out of our businesses. Uh, we all have different ways of doing that. And uh, Glenn, would you like to get us started? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I actually just came up with this topic because it was always so interesting because, you know, Darcy is like a syndicator. Uh, Ari's kind of a little bit of mix of everybody. <laughs> I, I, I do more of the smaller stuff. And so we all get paid different ways because it's, it's, uh, it's actually kind of interesting. And I'm actually really interested to hear how Darcy does it because um, from my understanding is with the syndication, it's you get there's certain point period points that you get money out of um that in your business and like you have but you still have to live and survive off of this all year round right so yep. but anyway i'll jump into mine quick um but Please, i'm really interested I'm about it. um mine's not as interesting so a lot of my stuff uh, for people who don't know is i do a lot of joint ventures uh so jvs so equity partners 50 50 sort of deals um where it works is people put the money in to buy the property renovate the property and then we either flip the property uh, or we refinance the property, pay them back. And I usually try to aim for perfect burrs or better. Um, especially in the last uh, bit, we had really good financing terms and we were getting way more than even a perfect bar. We were pulling each extracting good chunks of money out on top of it on the refinance. Um, and it still cash flowed well afterwards too, which I should mention. Um, but where I would get my money through those sort of projects is uh, I don't get paid during the project, during the renovation, when I make my money is after the partners got their money back, uh, after the refinance, we would split the cash flow 50-50, we would split the extra money that came out after a refinance 50-50. So that's where I get my 50-50 my money, but it's, uh, we split the cash flow always, but the other money doesn't happen unless there's a, a surplus which was happening for almost all of 2021. So, which is great. We're doing great, re, great, perfect burrs. Um, like I mentioned, refis, I get paid on refis. If we uh, have properties that we've held for a while, we refinance or we've done a renovation forced value. Um, flips, those are the, the nice ones where you get the big chunks of money. And in all honesty, um, I have a podcast actually talking about like you need like 33 properties or something like that. I named it uh, to retire if you want 10 grand a month and it's not really sustainable. So what I've done to try and make it so you don't need as many properties, uh, even though I have way more than 33, but so that you don't need so many properties to be able to retire from your job is to do a mix of different strategies, right? So um, don't do like everyone they preach, oh, do these first buy the project refinance keep them use your money buy another one it makes it tough because a lot of times the cash flow from those properties are like three or five hundred bucks you need a lot of those properties where i usually say is like do a flip get some money take some money a little bit of money out uh use the money reinvest do a burr so you because if you just do flips you'll do flips for it's an active job you'll do that forever you'll never retire so you have to, it's a transactional business but by mixing it up, you do that. Um, referrals is another way I make money. Um, when people message me and they're like, hey, can you refer me to a turnkey company? Turnkey company gives me a kickback. Uh, some mortgage brokers give kickbacks. Uh, credit cards give kickbacks. And people go, whoa, wait a second, you're making money off this, but they are win-wins. Um, oftentimes, the people, if they're doing a turnkey or mortgage broker, Usually the person 
getting, uh, being referred, like if someone came to me, they would get a discount as well as I would get a referral fee. So even if you just do an example of a credit card, uh, if I just referred someone for a credit card, I usually get like 150 or 200 bucks kickback when they sign up and they get 200 bucks or 250 bucks back, right? It's a win-win. They get a, a, perk, a perk as well, right? Um, sometimes the mortgage brokers, because they're under my umbrella, they fall into a different interest rate or a different term, or they understand what I've been doing and have built something up that they can get into a better program than if they showed up on their own. So it is a win-win. It's not like me just, oh, they're just going to tax money, extra money onto your fees in order to pay me. Um, so that's not actually, how, that's not how it works. Um, and then selling properties. Uh, is the other way I get paid whenever I sell stuff, which is very similar to the flips. But some of them are, why it's different is some of them, the reason I'm getting paid is appreciation rather than uh, flips, which is like a forced appreciation where we've done work, we renovated or we bought low and we've done a whole bunch of things. Whereas selling sometimes are some of my old properties I bought back in the day and they've just appreciated. Um, they've just, you know, doubled in price or up 25 or 30% or whatever from when I bought them and you make money off of that. Um, so those are kind of the different ways I do it. Um, I do lease options as well, which is a rent to own program where we, we get paid, we charge a deposit um, for the people to move in. And technically, I guess that is kind of income, but I treat it more like a security deposit that we just sort of keep in a bank account. So I don't actually usually take that out. Um, sometimes we use that to pay some fees or some renovations or some setup costs or something, but I don't actually take that out as profit per se. If, if people are going, Glenn, you do lease options. Why, are you, why aren't you mentioning that? But that, I don't really consider that profit or money to take out. What about you, Darcy? I know that this is like a, that yours is the, really the reason I wanted to do this show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll be real. I'll, I'll try to be as transparent as possible. I have, I'm part of three companies. So I spread my, you know, we were just talking before we went on air uh, about how all of us have, uh, through our period of employment, have had multiple jobs at the same time. Um, I know when I was a kid, I had a paper route and then another paper route, and then I had a Saturday job and I never gave up any of those. And I went to university and I kept my Saturday job and I had a week, other weekend job and I worked nights. And I know for you know, this is just a digression, but my second year of university, I kept my job at the uh, uh, lumber mill. I got an afternoon shift working the green chain steady for five months so I could keep my job till Christmas time. Um, so I would go to school during the day and go straight to work and work the green chain and get finished at 1230 and then drive back to school just because I always want to make sure I have money coming in. So I wouldn't say I'm, you know, fixated on it, but I'm also very aware that you need money to live. Um, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I think, you know, if we had how many 35 podcasts out there, we get down to brass tacks, you know, how much money and what, how can you make it? Because, you know, I, I have a social metric of what we're trying to accomplish, but I also have to feed my kids um, and myself. Um, we have an equity model I've come to, you know, discover. So uh, when we syndicate these purchases, uh, my partners and I, we take 20%. But that isn't, there's no extracting money upfront. We don't buy a building for a million, sell it to the syndicate for 1.1 and take a fee off that. We don't do that. We buy it for a million. We show them the, this is a for instance, but we show them the purchase agreements, all the documents, all the closing statements. They see all the numbers, see it exactly. But we're, 
we shovel ourselves or force ourselves into there at a 20% of the equity cash flow and everything else from that point forward. Well, that sounds great. 20% of a million dollar billing. Wow, you just, you just made yourself $200,000 on paper. On paper. Uh, the challenges there are that you have zero or actually a negative 200,000 on the balance sheet because you didn't bring any cash into the deal. So you're sitting in a negative position right off the top. You have to make that whole some way through the process of the building. So you have to perform. I like this process. I like that it puts me right under the thumb of performance. So unless I do something, uh, we don't get nothing. We don't get any pay. We don't get paid. Um, I don't take any fees. I don't take any um, acquisition. Uh, nope, none. I'm all on the back end of this. So if the process makes money, then we make money. And we get that through perhaps uh, refinance. We've made the building not worth 1 million, but 1.5 million through our industry, our work. I don't take a project management fee. So every day when I'm thinking of ways to reduce uh, costs, to improve the product, to increase rents, to fill vacancies and marketing and new signage and lighting and everything else that we do, all the operating work of shoveling snow, salting, sanding, cleaning, vacuuming, people we hire, I don't make anything on that. All I'm working on is making the building more valuable. Um, I think that aligns with my investors. They want a more valuable building. When we get a chance to refinance, we can extract some of that value. And at that point, my partners and I can take 20% of the refinance. Um, if the building makes money, and usually it doesn't in the first couple of years, because we're buying our profile, we're buying substantially broken buildings. These are buildings that don't make money and nobody sells a good building. They only sell bad ones. So we're buying bad buildings, fixing problems, renovating suites, making them efficient, fixing boilers, replacing roofs and windows and everything else is bad. It doesn't make any money for two years. So we don't get paid for two years and there's no cash flow. We don't get paid till we've established new value for a refinance. Or the final way we could get paid is through the wrap up of the, of the partnership and the sale of the assets. And in Ontario, that's you know probably one of the ways we work for 10 years to create a lot of value. And what we bought at I think around 8 million, we sold uh, part of it in 2017 for about two and a half million. And then we sold the remainder for 23 and a half million just this spring. And there was a substantial between the two sale periods, uh, equity of around 16 and a half, 17 million before taxes. That's when you get paid. So it's a long wait. Um, the real question for what listeners out there is like, so how do you pay your monthly bills in May? Or how do you pay your bills for two and a half or three years before you get any money? Um, delicately. That's why I have three jobs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, uh, and that's, that's a trick. Glenn's asking, how would someone young start out at this? And you, it, it's, it's really tricky. I think I've worked myself into this position. The first, first company was a family business. And I took a role as a, a property manager for my father-in-law. I agreed to a wage that was equal to what I was getting paid as a teacher in Ontario. Now, that was a long time ago. And a teacher in Ontario in their third year got three thirty nine thousand seven forty eight a year. So I took a job for thirty nine thousand seven forty eight. Although I was such a bad negotiator, I didn't even tell him gross. I told him my net salary. Oh, so I, oh. <laughs> such an idiot. So I had no, no benefits, no insurance, no nothing. And I had the net of that after tax. So my wife and I were living on around 34,000 a year for about six years. So, yeah. and with three kids and a mortgage on a place in Cloverdale. So we were hustling. 
that's that's you know put someone under pressure you'll find a way to survive and i was like a cockroach i had to find a way to survive so you know we all find a way um the interesting thing is you know i the deal i struck with my father-in-law was that i would have that wage and he would mentor me and teach me how to do the business but i could never negotiate a better wage my my increase would come from my proficiency and my uh, you know, access to his uh, uh, network of uh, business contacts and interests and his mentorship. So I had this very modest wage, but I would grow and meet my family's needs through our business activities, which is you know a great idea. Look at this yeah. young guy work, look at him work his butt off. Um, yeah. However, it never really worked out that way. Um, my father-in-law had the poor uh, misfortune of getting old and having, you know, compounded illnesses. And you know, it just, it, it never happened. Um, there's other problems there. It'll be in the book. So, <laughs> you know, for six years, there's no way to increase your wage. So that's why I've had three businesses. They have to be at different stages of the career. The, the first pro uh, the first project and the first job matured over time. And, you know, this is classic negotiation, but I never thought of it at the time. And I honestly never thought of doing this, but because he's my father-in-law and I cared for him deeply and you know, and I came into him and I'm a very open person. So I came into the office and I said, Hey, dad, uh, one of your partners just, uh, offered me a job. He, uh, he said, uh, come work for him. Uh, and my father-in-law like raises an eyebrow because if I leave now, he's got to go back to work. And he's been very comfortable for about six or seven years, just traveling, eating, dining, playing with his grandchildren. If I leave, he's back in the saddle. And he's, so I'm sure inside he's going, wait, what? And I'm, I'm just telling him the news. I'm just saying, hey, this guy offered me a job, but he offered me a job at 70000 a year plus a lease on a car. And my father-in-law like, this is more than double what I'm paying this kid. And he's driving a, by that time, I was driving a seven-year-old master protege, you know? So it looked pretty, it looked pretty appealing. And I was kind of, wow, uh, am I worth that? And he's, so he's just kind of, went, hmm, so what'd you say? And I said, oh, of course, I turned him down. Dad, I'm committed to you and our family. Of course, I'm not going to take that job. But I just, you know, just thought you should know. <laughs> That's some nudge. nudge. <laughs> I didn't. Honestly, I was not thinking that at all. I was just thinking, yeah. can you believe that? Because I would tell him everything. I would tell him, this tenant just phoned about this. This contractor just phoned about this. You know, I'm just chit-chatting. We're just having coffee in a in a kebab, a cookie. No, on the side, that, right? Yeah. So... About two days later, he comes in with a piece of paper with his scratch on it, and he writes four thousand, and just throws it on the paper on the on the on the desk. I, I'm sorry, what is this about? He says, "That's your new wage, four thousand a month." Now he's making forty-eight thousand a year. I felt so awesome, I, you know, because <laughs> you know when I was a teacher, the wages are prescribed; they just follow the grid, and you know, I never really negotiated a wage increase. This is the first time, and I was just, hey. Yeah. All right. Pretty <laughs> good. Pretty good. So that was, you know, so uh, in that case, the first one, I had a wage and created a company around it and built it up. So, but I have to say my wage is now 56,000 a year, uh, 21 years in. Um, and that includes um, medical dental through the chambers plan. So we added that about six years ago, but I maintain a fairly modest wage. I love that idea of, um, um, uh, what's that guy? Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, his founder, lives in the same house. Um, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. I mean, I know he has a huge, massive wage and stuff, but I like the idea that you could 
keep your fixed costs really low and still grow equity. So I'm, I'm in love with the equity side of things more than the cash flow. And so my wife and I and our family have really tried to maintain a modest, modest cash flow. And well, the way I format my business has helped that and grow the equity side. So my wife always says, okay, we're all right now, but you keep saying the future is going to be amazing. When will we arrive at when this future? Yeah. Like many partners will ask, when is the future when this equity comes? And then, you know, I don't know, probably this spring, the wrap up of sales of our Ontario assets brought a little bit of the future a little bit closer. But the thing is, we haven't spent it and I'm reinvesting it in more property. So I just kicked the future another 10 years away. So if I live to see the future, I'll let you know what it looks like. <laughs> Ari, how do you get, how do you Wait, get wait, wait, pay? Darcy, wait, you're not I, done. I get to ask you questions here. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you you put yourself, you, you, you push yourself in as 20%, as you put it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then do you get 20% of that cash flow? We do. Yeah. Okay. When there is okay. cash flow. Yeah. 20% okay. of then, the cash flow when it comes. Of course, I split that 20% with two other partners. And yeah, in the yeah, other yeah. business, yeah, I yeah. split the 20% with three other partners. So it's it's relatively modest. You think, wow, 20%. When it's equity, it's yeah, it's great. But if your cash flow is like on a single property of a 30-unit building, your cash flow might be 16, 17,000. 20% of that, and then 40% of 20%. I mean, you're talking about $1,500 or $1,800 cash flow. That's great because I had zero in. But so it's not, it's not but that's before you ref, you repaying their uh, the investors' contribution. You you take that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're in right from the start. Yeah. Okay, and Darcy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have uh, different syndicators that I've interviewed on my other show, and some of them buy the properties that you know ideally like what i like to think of is we buy them up we renovate them and then we sell them to somebody someone's yeah. on the other side buying these fully turnkey multifamilies mm -hmm. at market <laughs> for those people if for instance that you know they bought it at 10 million dollars and right at the top of the market right the, everything's at the top and then something correction happens which means the rents go down and uh, it affects their net operating income, which applied to a cap rate means the value property is less valuable, right? If they decide to sell it, do they still get their 20% percentage because they're below where they started? Yeah. Yeah. They would come in with zero. So if that would be a horrible outcome that you bought yeah. a $10 million. I'm just thinking asset. worst case, right? Yeah, that's it. I think my investors must look at that and go, wait, what if this thing goes off the rails? You still get paid. Yeah, yeah that is true. Um, okay. we never sold at a loss and you know what? I just wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't just keep, keep, cash just immoral. Just keep yep. running. Yeah. But here's the thing. If it's at a loss, it's not cash flowing. You're probably feeding it. And I've told my investors, you're, I'm never coming back to you for more money. So if this thing requires feeding, it's coming out of my house. It's coming out of my grocery table. You're not ever going to put another dime into this thing. So if you had that circumstance where you had a $10 million asset now worth 8 million and you're underwater, in our case, we'd be feeding that thing until it was made whole. So okay. it makes us very conservative. Like I've had business uh, coaches that say, listen, why don't you leverage the rest of this stuff? You've got 60% loan to value or something like 40%, 30% loan to value. Why aren't you leveraging all this available um, equity and buying three times more? Well, I like to sleep and I like to make sure I get cash flow to my partners. So we haven't done that. Um, it's not as aggressive as we could be, but I'm a conservative guy. I like a sure thing. 
My last question. If you yes. were, had to feed this thing, which I know you never had to, that money that you fed, would that just go into money on the LP side? You just be a new contributor? Or how, did that, how would you even structure that in? We have just, on two occasions. I have. I, um, we brought it early on, and it wasn't in the LP structure, but it was in a, a corporation. We bought a property, and I didn't ask for enough money. We bought a building with 66 units and, you know, we're naive and this is early in the process. We bought this building and by the time we took it over, another 20 units were vacant. It was, it was the, the, the rent roll was a sham. Um, it wasn't oh. nefarious, but now you've got 66 units and only 20 are paying and 40 are occupied and holy crap, that's a lot of cash burn. So we had asked for, um, I think we had costed out that we need to renovate 20 units at about 5,000 a piece. And now we're renovating 40 to 50 units and just wasn't enough money. Plus you had operating, you needed operating cash. So I did go back to my partner and said, we underestimated, we're going to need another hundred thousand dollars about eight months in one of the worst calls of my life. And it still wasn't enough. So I gave a share, I gave a short a loan to the property a zero interest loan of $135,000 to the property that took me another two and a half years to get out till we refinance. Ah, so that's how you do it. You I write, did. Yourself, write yourself a loan to the corporation yeah. and then they pay yeah. you back. Yep. Gotcha. I talked to Makes them sense. and said, listen, it's not going to cost you guys any more money, but I'm going to loan the property. And there was some anxiety, like, holy crap, are we in that bad of shape? 135,000 at that time sounds like a terrible amount. Now I realize on an asset that was worth $8 million, $135,000 isn't much at all. And, uh, it was good. It was needful. So it meant that our in on the property is about a million on a purchase of, I think bought it for 1.775, but we sold it for 7.1, nine years later. So we did all right. Yeah, and bad. everyone's happy. Yeah. Ari, what about you? Sorry. I kept, uh, kept probing Darcy for more information. I wasn't letting them off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I find it interesting what Darcy is explaining, and uh, I have um, I've um, I've attended a, a course with um, a mentor, and uh, I met somebody there, and uh, I thought the course was about uh, getting into commercial real estate, but in a sense, in essence, commercial real estate was the vehicle, and um, and basically the person was teaching syndication. So I'm also interested in syndication, and that may, might be the next chapter uh, for me. I'm um, and I, I picked one of the students, and together we uh, we chat every week. So he he does his syndication business and grows it slowly, and uh, so we we pick each other's brain on a weekly basis. And um, the question has become now on our calls, you know, what how are you going to move the needle this week? And um, you guys know how attached I am to uh, accountability. And uh, in terms of revenue, um, for me, real estate really started when I, uh, when I was working for this foundation in Toronto. Um, they, all the money came from real estate and they, they were able to do uh, you know, something good for the community with the, the money from the real estate. So it was a source of inspiration. And at the very smallest scale, um, I, I tried to, um, to do the same thing. Except, you know, for me, it's not going to be uh, millions of dollars that I'm going to have, but I'm going to have some free time to, um, to help out and do, um, do something in my community. And so basically, I don't, I don't have uh, very um, expensive needs. Uh, my main source of expense 
my main expense is um, tea. I buy, I drink a lot of tea. Um, that sounds expensive. <laughs> and um, yes, yeah, so I have a, a, a small portfolio of properties and um, so I've been refinancing. When I refinance, usually I use the funds to, to purchase something else. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and also, I, yeah, so that's basically how I, how I do it. So you get make a lot of your money on the refinances. Is that kind of the thing? But you usually, you reinvest though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't keep it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm treating myself a little bit more now because I realize, you know, I'm in, my, I'm in my 40s and it's maybe I should do a little bit more. So I, when COVID is going to be over, I'll travel, we'll travel a bit more. And, um, and I have, uh, in terms of dental and all that good stuff, I have it through my wife. So you, you mentioned some things, sorry to cut you off, Darcy, before I didn't no, no, okay. some, but um, you still talked about treating yourself. And it's one of those things that um, um, a bunch of people who are very close to me are like, you know, just in their fifties and sixties. And I've been getting like really sick and you're just like, this life is too short. Mm -hmm. Right. And for uh, as the way things are going for people to actually retire, it's getting pushed later and later. So it's not like retiring at 65, it's getting to 69. And you're like, by the time you're retired, you're, you're in rough shape. Um, so like, this is one of those things, like we're really, you got to treat yourself. You got to do something before pushing it all to the end. <laughs> it's, you might yeah. not get to enjoy it. <laughs> I agree. You have three assets, health, uh, money and time. And, uh, you know, when you get to retirement age, uh, you know, you, you may not have the health anymore. And I know for myself, I retired quite early. Um, I, I got out of my job and then uh, did a few investments and uh, was able to retire because I, I really don't need much. So uh, about 1500 a month was enough. And uh, uh, so I retired quite early. And, uh, and then the question was, you know, how do you, that's something I'm, I'm dealing with. Um, you know, it's how do you, how do you do something purposeful? Because, uh, and how do you, uh, and I think I'm trying. I'm starting to find the answer around uh, affordable housing and um, and and giving back. I, I think that helping others is going to be um, one of the next chapters for me. Yeah, one thing I'd be remiss if I didn't add. I just I thought you know there's way, there's only a handful of ways that you can take money out of a business that are legal, right? You're going to have to take it as a dividend, that is, if you're have some position within it of equity or ownership. You're gonna to have to take it as a wage, as a hireling. You know, we could do both a combination of these two functions. Um, you could take it a loan, a shareholder loan, if you have that permission as a sole proprietor or in a position to take one. There could be bonuses. These are all taxable. Shareholders loans are under very uh, prescribed conditions and of repayment. You have to see your accountant about it. You could charge commissions or fees. Um, those kinds of things are also subject to tax. I mean, you're, you're down to only a handful of ways to get paid. Um, I would say my model is not ideal. I, because of the uniqueness of my situation, being able to manage a family business with a modest income and having a fairly, you know, disciplined, rigorous life. Um, I was able to throw myself in my work and expertise into these other projects without front-ended compensation. Many can't. And Glenn's question has always been, now, how is someone young or one of our listeners, how would they get rolling in this? I don't think you could do this model where you deferred so much. Uh, you know, Glenn's maintained his regular job while doing all this extraordinary stuff off the side of his desk, which I think is unfreaking believable. 
um, just because it's got an enormous amount of energy and creativity. Um, that's hard to replicate. It's not available to everybody. You know, um, you have to have a willing partner in your life that somehow bring in a little bit of money. And full disclosure, my wife is an opera singer. Uh, she's a fairly successful Canadian opera singer, in my opinion, and uh, brings in some money for that. And it, uh, it's, you know, well compensated because she doesn't have to work 365 days a year. But it's not available to everyone. And I think my model is not entirely reproducible. I would say when I was looking at the Ontario stuff that we just sold, you know, the last year of operations, I was getting paid to manage properties three of us in the role of a property manager of around $800 a month per property to manage all the operations of three of them, but I was actually managing five and at 1.7. So, you know, 27,000 a year as a property manager, we were getting around one of the properties was giving us 20 to 25,000 a year in cash. Another one was giving 18, another one was nine, 11. Probably out of all the properties, we're getting about 110,000 gross from that one section. You can live on that in Canada, especially if that's only one of your jobs. It's pretty good. But that took 10 years to get there. So that's, you know, as close as I can get to full disclosure without showing my T4As or T5013s or whatever documents we need. So Darcy, um, just cut you off again. Yeah. <laughs> but like a lot of you said, like for people getting started in this, I have had several people that I talked to um, who are uh, going into real estate for their very first purchase in syndicating their very first one. Mm-hmm. They've quit their job and they're doing this. And I think what is different between your structure and theirs is there's a lot more fees in a lot of these syndications. Yeah, I think I, so. There is um, a lot of upfront fees, like an mm-hmm. acquisitions costs and management fee, usually 2% of oh, the costs. Yeah. yeah, they're taking yeah. a lot more fees so that they can get paid through the whole thing is the newer trend. And if yep. people are investing in these syndications, a lot of people are doing this so passively that they literally just look at how much money are you paying me every month? And how much do you anticipate my annual return will be at the sale price? And that's all they look at. And they don't look at the fees. They're all in the paperwork you get. Yep. It's all presented. And I've literally talked to people who've invested in these and they have no idea what the fees are. You know, if it's disclosed and it's really clear and transparent and fair, you know, go for it. Um, I've just, you know, part of it is I wasn't, uh, um, you know, I have an underlying modesty that, you know, some people will laugh that are listening uh, in this, in this regard, I want to make sure that I'm giving good, good value. I think people will return for a second or a third or fourth offering if they can see that, um, it's just super fair. There's great value here. Um, I don't want to say I'm the Walmart of investing. I don't think that's true, <laughs> but I like to make sure that it's very explicit what the value prospect is and what I'm bringing to this. And I got 21 years in doing this and a track record of production that I think is pretty spectacular. So, um, and I'm not taking any uh, haircut on this stuff. I'm in the same position, everyone. If it, is, it succeeds, I succeed and my family eats. If it doesn't, I'm not taking any fees off it. I like being in that position. Um, you know, it, it'd be nice to, you know, have more cash, I suppose. But I don't, you know, I said to my wife the other day, would the wine taste any better that we're drinking now? I don't think so. And, you know, the chili chili dogs I was making tasted pretty good. I was pretty happy with that. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't need more. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way the thing is, but I would acknowledge it is really difficult to start at this spot. Um, 
you know, how do you start with 20 years experience? And, you know, one, one wealth that uh, I could add to Ari's wealth is a wealth of relationships. I have, uh, you know, about 70 investors um, that I acknowledge have shown an awful lot of faith and uh, support for our family and for what we're doing. And I think they're gold. Uh, if any of them are listening, I know a couple are, I acknowledge how important they are to us. Um, their faith and serving them really well is top, top shelf for me. That's a thing we concentrate on every morning and we talk in our office, how we're going to serve our investors better. So I like, I like how it works, but I acknowledge it is a difficult place to start. You couldn't start here. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you guys for your insights and uh, hope everybody enjoyed the show and uh, learn from the different ways you can take money out of your business and uh, yeah thank you for tuning in and if you have any questions you'd like us to cover during the show feel free to email them at advancedreitalk at gmail.com it's advancedreitalk at gmail.com and it will be our pleasure to discuss them for you and yeah thank you for tuning in and see you guys next week see you all next week yeah see everybody see ya